Welcome, and thank you for listening to the New Day Podcast. We are located in South Kansas City, proclaiming the good news of God's grace to our region and abroad. If you'd like more information, please visit our website, newdaykc.org. Sam Alexander has a testimony he wants to share with us. So, Sam. Good morning. Um, you good-looking young man. I like him just a little bit. Thank you. Um, I just, I wanted to um, just give a quick testimony. Brenda spoke a couple weeks ago, and one of the things that she said was just like a little seed that sunk in for me, and I just wanted to share it. So um, she spoke about letting the Lord love you and even asking the Lord, um, show me how much you love me. And I thought, hey, I'm going to try it. And um, so I, I began doing it, and I've, I've, I've noticed something just really um, powerful in my day-to-day life. Doing the menial day-to-day things in life, I felt more exuberant, more excited, just like a joy um, in doing the day-to-day things where I'm just like, oh, this is fun, you know, and I'm not, I'm not doing anything out of the ordinary. I'm not doing anything exciting. It's just fun. And, um, you know, God said, I've come that you can have life and life to the full. I always pray that. God, give me life, life, life more abundantly. I pray that all the time. And I just felt like it was a little key that unlocked something inside of me to give me a new perspective and it's not something that I'm just like, oh, you know, it's not something consciously that happened, something that unconsciously that, that happened, and it's just been really, really cool. And so I've just kind of spoken to some people about it and kind of, um, you know, I've been praying this, and, and this has been happening. It's really cool. And they said, yeah, your perspective is changing. And, um, you know, you go through life, and, you know, you kind of go through valleys, and you go through, you know, you have mountains, and sometimes they're good, sometimes they're bad. But when your heart's alive and you're exuberant about life and even the, the little things, the menial things, life's fun. You know, that's exciting. Your heart's in, your heart's in it. And um, so I just wanted to share that and, and, and encourage you, if you haven't tried that, maybe try it. And I don't know if it's just the place that I'm in, um, but it just unlocks something really awesome in me. And I'm reaping the benefits and enjoying the, the small things in life and feel like my heart's coming more alive. So, bless you with that, and um, thanks. Thank you. How'd you get so smart? Mm-mm. Jesus. Patrick, my lad. You have to say Patrick with an Irish lilt. Patrick, well, we're going to put this scripture up. Stand with me. Let's honor the word of God by standing and saying it aloud together. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. That the eyes of your understanding, being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe, 
according to the working of his mighty power. Thank you, Lord, for your word. I just ask that you would shine it into our hearts and give us revelation. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to share a short message with you today. Here's what's stunning to me. That this prayer, and it's referred to by theologians as the great high apostolic prayers. Um, The different prayer movements that have happened through the church through the centuries when prayer became an emphasis. This was always the hallmark scripture that undergirded prayer. Uh, It's one of the most meaningful things. I talked about it a little bit last week, just very briefly, after uh, uh, David got done sharing. And uh, I bet just been going through this over and over and over again. And and it's meaning to me. And praying, because I know this is this, you know, last week I kind of joked about it. And, uh, you know, I joke, I think I joke out of my insecurities. I have kind of a quirky personality. And I think my way of, of being able to try to connect or relate with people is to use humor. But then you always do that thing when you get insecure, you overuse it. It's just like, I really do. I've learned to love that thing that Brenda said in love and commitment. So when I love, I tend to tease people because it makes me feel secure. And I only tease people I love. So if you got teased by me, guess what? I love you. If you get teased a lot, Michael, if you get teased a lot, what does that mean? There we go. So I tend to use that. And so last week I talked about this being a big, hairy, audacious prayer. And I had somebody say, hairy, audacious prayer? You don't... And it's just, I don't know, it's my way, it's that quirky way of using humor. This is what I know. This is a prayer that when you pray, God answers because it's not a fleshy prayer. Have you noticed how he doesn't answer fleshy prayers a lot? No. Do you know what I mean by a fleshy prayer? Okay, fleshy prayers like this. Oh God, cause that car that just cut me off on the freeway to just spin out of control and let there be a police officer to give him a ticket for not having his car under control. Do you notice how that prayer hardly ever gets answered? So usually fleshy prayers are the ones that we try to get God to change or do circumstances the way we want it in it or if you take circumstances out and put relatives and people or people that we know and he just doesn't seem to answer those prayers very much. Well, this big prayer, guess what? He loves to answer because it's a deeply spiritual prayer. But here's what's really interesting. This prayer should never be taken out of the context that it was written in. And unless you read the first 16 verses of Ephesians, you really can't grasp what Paul meant when he was writing to them, this is what I'm praying for you. So this morning, if you have your Bible with you and you still do that, or if it's electronic or whatever, I'm going to start in verse 3. The first two verses are a greeting. And Paul says this, because I want you to hear it in context. And just get a framework, and then I want to talk just briefly about two things about it. 
Because if you don't get this first part, you don't understand and you don't get to a place of being settled and secure in your heart. And the prayer doesn't give you an assurance. It just becomes a very scary prayer to pray. And you tend to lose focus off of it. When in actuality, when it's taken in context, our hearts become assured that he will answer this prayer and how important this prayer is. So listen to verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, you got to hear that, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us, that's me, you can, you can do your little thing on the side of your Bible and put your name in there. Just as he chose you in him before the foundation of the world. This is how this makes us secure. Before God said to Hitchcock Peak in Arizona, right outside of Tucson in the Santa Catalina Mountains, before he said be to that peak, you were in him. He was thinking about you. Is that not stunning? Because of some other things that he says in here. That he knew, just as he was forming and framing the world, and the worlds, and the plants, because this gets bigger, you could just spend the whole message on this, and take it out there. His thoughts were about you. His thoughts were through Christ. Jesus was in the beginning. He was thinking about you. Here's, Here's what it does. Immediately when I hear this, this is what I know. I can trust him because he chose me. I can trust him because he chose me. Here's how we don't read this stuff anymore. I don't know how you were taught to read or or go through scriptures or to study them or how to study your Bible and everything. One of the things I realized is I was continually put in the issue of that this was written with us as the subject matter and God as the object. Do you, do you know your English and how grammar is supposed to work? This is what's discombobulating me, is I'm learning that he's the subject and I'm the object. Which is a completely different perspective and approach to reading the word of God. He's writing this with me being the receptor And the object of it, when we were worshiping, do you notice how it's really, it's okay to sing those songs about what you want to declare about God, but the minute we move to declaring something about like, I am a temple, everybody gets a little bit awkward. It, now am I being quirky again? It becomes very strange when worship becomes interactive and we not only start saying things to God about who he is, but then we start singing what God feels and thinks about us. It suddenly becomes, why? Because of our humanness, our brokenness, our inadequacies knowing that we 
yelled at somebody we loved yesterday. It's really interesting that on our worst day, Christ is still immovable in how he feels towards us. When we were singing that, uh, you are my joy, I was thinking, I, I was doing words different. I was going, I am your joy, I am your joy, I am your joy. Because you see, when, and it's not wrong, so bear with me as I go on this journey. It's not wrong to declare, you are my joy, God, but have you ever noticed how life can get in the way of that? And a lot of times you come into church and you don't want to sing, you are my joy, because of what you did yesterday, or the conversation you had just before you got here, or the fight that you had with your spouse on the way here. No, that doesn't happen. Oh, yeah, especially if you're a pastor. That's why Brenda and I don't ride together anymore. <laughs> Let's take separate cars, okay? It's early. Don't talk to me yet. Two cups of coffee. I need three. Remember, my quirky humor. See, God's the unmovable one. At your very worst, you are still God's very best. Because he loves you and gave his life for you. And he doesn't change. And when that subject matter becomes the object of our pursuit of God, it changes everything. It changes the whole perspective in what we live out of. And authentic, I'm I'm reading this book right now by a guy named John Lynch. It's called On My Worst Day. And it is just discombobulating me. Because the guy, it's like like Dr. Larry Crabb meets Brennan Manning, meets Andrew Farley, meets Tulian Chavidya. It's like, it has just done this thing where I'm going... How, I mean, I so resonate with, now it's probably because he's my age or around that age, but I so resonate with everything that he's saying about spirituality and he just goes there and he's just authentic and real. And I'm going, oh God, I want to be that real. Now that can be offensive too. To be completely authentic and real. You ever notice how in church we, we ask each other how we're doing, we always expect the same answer? Oh, I'm, yeah, I'm pretty good. Or, well, I had a little rough time, so pray for me. We put, you know, what happens if we come to church? Is it okay to come to church and have had a really crappy day the day before? Or that morning? I hope so. But that means church has to be really safe. And if somebody looks at you and goes, eh, not so good. I know it's awkward, but don't just awkwardly walk away from them. Now, that doesn't mean that church should be someplace where we all, uh, I use this term about Facebook, which I'm taking a break from, but, you know, emotional streaking. I don't think it's safe to necessarily, I'm really having a crappy day, so I'm going to puke all over you today. That, isn't, that doesn't work either, but there's got to be a place where it's authentic and real. Wouldn't you like to have church be that way? Is church that way? 
think it's getting that way. That's called safety. That's called authentic. That's called living right here in what Paul wrote. Before he told them about the big prayer to pray. And just being authentic. Listen to the next verse. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. That's God's declaration over you, not an assessment that you have to reach. He's saying, I did this for you, so you are this in me. Not dependent on what happened the day before. Having predestined us, here's the really good part, to adoption as sons. That, that means that the Father has brought me right in to himself. That we are really seated in heavenly places with Christ. We really are there. By Jesus Christ himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, this means... Right now, this is how you can take this verse. God takes extreme delight in you right now, this moment, sitting next to your wife. Is that not stunning? Well, you see, it doesn't even... Here, I'm going to pick on him because I, I get to hang out with him all the time. It doesn't even matter if he says praise God. God's still delighted with him. Because he chose him... And his son is in him. And that's the game changer. We always forget the game changer. The thing that really counts. The thing that causes our heart to trust in full assurance. It's God who did this, not something I must do to get it. Isn't it strange? I'm reading this book, and he brings this out all the time. How when you first get saved... Do you remember that feeling? Shut your eyes. Do you remember that feeling? When you, whatever, it doesn't matter what the words were, but when your heart yielded to him, who he is, fully, that you finally said, I can't do this anymore, give up. What did you feel? Relief. Peace. Peace. Hope. What did you feel, Ben? Alive. Secure. Oh, not alone. What did you feel, Carrie? A sense of belonging. Security and safety. Did you feel that way the rest of the time? I have to admit that I didn't all the time. 
Matter of fact, some of the time I want to go, is this real? Do you ever have doubts? I had so many doubts and questions. And I was never in a place safe enough that I could admit that. That I had doubts and questions and didn't know. There were times I tried and it, and it didn't work, according to my precepts. I had my equations down really good. If I do this, this, and this, then God, you'll do this, this, and this. So here's what I do. And then I started, did you ever do this one where you mortgaged your spiritual future? Did you ever had that negotiation with God? I will commit to serve you, and I will read my Bible every day, and I will spend an hour in prayer. Wait a minute, I'll tithe. I'll spend 2.4 hours a day in prayer to you. And, I'll, and man, I, I had the walls of the room of good intentions so painted. Oh, what I would do. And then I found it didn't work because I didn't do it. But I found Ephesians to be true. That I was still there in him and he didn't leave me. He didn't get upset. He didn't get strange towards me. Even when I thought I was in that... Uh, we, we have lots of Christian jargon, don't we? Uh, a dry place. Don't you like all of our little languages? I was at, When we were doing that song, Hosanna, I remember my hippie days in Tucson all the time. So um, the reason is, is Hosanna is specifically one of the Christian jargon terms that we use. We probably don't know what it means God saves. And so... <clears throat> Some of you know this person, so I knew this person before he was married to his wife currently, but a guy named Bob Faulkner, maybe some of you know him from from past days and stuff, so uh, Bob is my oldest living Christian friend, and uh, Bob was kind of this hippie art student landscaper that that uh, was going to the U of A, and we connected at the same church, and he had this really cool dog that was half Malmute and half-Arctic wolf. And so he had the dog bred to a Siberian husky, and we got one of the puppies. So the puppy was half Siberian husky, quarter Malmute, and a quarter Arctic wolf. And that dog was the most stubborn thing I've ever seen in my life. But I was a hippie, and I liked all those terms that we, you know, hippie Christians used, you know, because hippies had their own terms, you know, cool, far out. Uh, have you tuned in, dropped out? Uh, those kind of, Some of you won't know what I'm talking about. Some of you do, unfortunately. But one of the things is I wanted to be so cool that I named this little puppy Hosanna. Now, Hosanna sounds like a nice word when you sing it, but not when the dog won't ever come back. And the minute the door was open, she would take off through the neighborhoods of Tucson, running around all over the city with me screaming, Hosanna! Hosanna! Not, Hosanna! Hosanna! And I'm sure the prostitute that lived across the street from us was going, that dude's crazy. 
I think God laughed at that so much. I think it's one of the chief joys about my life in him that I named a dog Hosanna. Was that predestined? Sure. It was in God's heart over Lloyd. And even though I would scream Hosanna in an angry way, he was smiling and going, you're going to really find out one day what Hosanna means in a very meaningful way, Lloyd. And you don't wig me out at all. I still like you. I still love you. I still care deeply for you. And I think he liked the hippie Lloyd as much as he does the pastor Lloyd. Sometimes maybe more. The good pleasure of his will. The joy. You know what? You're the good pleasure of his will. Can you receive that this morning? You are the good pleasure of his will. Okay, you know I'm going to make you do this, right? Put your hand on your heart. Say with me, I am the good pleasure of his will. Is that not stunning? You, right now, right where you're at, with all the wrinkles, warts, mistakes, joys, and lows, are the good pleasure of his will. This is stunning. This is why you've got to read this stuff before you read what to pray. Because if your heart doesn't get assured of this, you'll pray that prayer in a fleshy way. And you'll make him the, the object and you the subject of it. Because in that prayer, he's the subject and you're the object. Can you hang with me for just two more minutes? All right. So after he tells you that according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, if you think it's not grace, uh, you're missing it. We'll get into that later. By which he made us accepted in the beloved. He, subject, made us, object, accepted in him. You can't make you accepted. You can't make you accept it. We pray, you know, we, we play the old Verizon commercial with him. Do you hear me now? Do you like me now? I'll be nice to Mark today. Will you really like me then? Because I know Mark's one of your favorites. We don't really say that stuff, and yet those thoughts intermingle with who we're going to decide that we're going to hang out with and talk with and relate to. Every one of us who is in Christ belongs to him and is the delight of his heart. And when I say it to a little child, I say it to an older man. It's about Christ. Now it's about he's adopted, she's adopted, she's and she's adopted, 
He's adopted. He's adopted, even if he's got a Viking shirt on. This one I hardly know. See, I, I will treat you differently when I see you in Christ. And I get a, a vast, deep understanding. And then we start, we quit doing comparisons. We quit doing those weird evaluations and trying to get God to notice us by who we're being nice to or not nice to or treat or not treat. He made me accepted in the beloved. The beloved is Jesus. Whenever it refers to beloved, it's talking about Jesus and you. The two of you together, beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. I've seen grace look like the most foolish thing on the earth. And yet, he took the foolish things to confound the wise, didn't he? Having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. That we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. And in him you also trusted. After you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. In whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. To the praise of his glory. I am his temple. I am his temple. He redeemed me. That means he purchased me, got me back. We can trust him. We can trust him. In his book on my worst day, I just want to read you one quote. It's a short one. John Lynch says this. He's got these one-liners that just absolutely undo me. Uh, He says, Many people try so hard to be godly instead of trusting that they already are. And I went, Did you get to hear all my prayers or something? Like, did God show you a movie of my life? How could you say that? That's so true of me. I, have, I spent more of my Christianity, more of my life, trying so hard to be godly. Instead of placing my trust that I was. Well, that's because the ugly reality is sin pops in and you do something very ungodly. But what I learned to do was instead of going back and trusting how I felt at the very beginning... Remember me making you shut your eyes and recapture that feeling? Instead of going back to let that take me through life, I decided I had to build a castle 
that would make proclamations about how I would make it happen and what I would do to be okay with him. The real message of grace is that it takes grace to get us through life, not just to save us. And that the way through was the way in. And you'll return to it over and over and over again. And if you don't, you're going to build walls and a castle of self-righteousness, learned behavior, learned church words, and make yourself look and be okay in front of others when you don't feel and you're not okay. And you have to return to this first passage in Ephesians. Now, maybe you'll pick a different spot in the Bible that God really speaks to you through. It's not trite to say we're all children of grace. It was his good favor, his pleasure, his good will. And that is the foundation that keeps us in Christ. So, beloved, don't sin. And if you do, you have an advocate who will cleanse you and wash you. It doesn't make the results of all sinning go away. Sin has dastardly things that go with it, have you noticed? I had an old friend that used to say, uh, sin makes you stupid, and I've kind of gone, no, my stupidity makes me sin. It's probably both. But I know this, there's only one place that I can have a guilty conscience sprinkled with blood, and that's to return to the one that it talks about in those verses in Ephesians and let him wash me and cleanse me and then sing whether I feel it or not. I am a temple. I am a temple. On my worst day, I'm still a temple. On your very worst day, you're still a temple. Now, I'm going to use weak human terms because the deep magic he did cannot be undone. She was talking about Aslan at the beginning. The deep spirituality, this deep mystery that it talks about in Ephesians in just a few verses cannot be undone by you, the object. The subject carries it through, Christ and what he did. And how he thought and felt about you before he made the Santa Catalina Mountains or the river that you love or the cabin up in Wisconsin or the beach in Florida. pretty incredible story, isn't it? If you're far, let him redeem you again. Does that mean I wasn't before? No, just let, stop getting all the stuff in the way. If you feel far away from him, it says this in Hebrews 4, run boldly to what? A throne of, and there you will receive and obtain, did we get those backwards? 
it works. I don't know what song to close with, Michael. You want to sing? Yeah, come on up. You want to sing? Oh. We should sing. Would you please take, I know we prayed the prayer last week. Would you wrestle through these scriptures this week? Would you go back and read Ephesians 1? Before you pray the prayer found in verse 17, would you let the Holy Spirit make you the object of his affection again? The Lord is the object of my affection, but what's more important is I'm the object of his affection. Because that's the one that won't change. That's the one that won't get tossed about by life. That's the one that won't get shipwrecked and kicked around. Is that he did this for me. That's the one that releases me to pray the prayer that we read together. That the eyes of my understanding would be enlightened. God, show me again. Here's a great dangerous prayer to this week. Show me again how much you love me. That's selfish. No, it's not. It's a very valid, real, maybe the most real prayer that you will pray. Reveal to me how much you love me. Reveal this week to me how much you love me. Reveal this day to me how much you love me. Reveal this hour to me how much you love me. And on your worst day, reveal in this moment to me how much you love me. And see what happens. So as a friend, I challenge you to pray. Really pray that God would reveal himself to you. Would you stand with me?